I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. If you're using a pew Bible, that would be 1239. And if you're wondering, no, I'm not Matt Ryman. Um, And so uh, he was not able to preach this morning, so I am stepping in and excited uh, to be with you all. And he will pick up on finishing Haggai next week. So this morning we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 25 to chapter 6, verse 5. Let us receive God's holy and life-giving word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself, will not be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would use the preaching of your word this morning, not simply to transfer information to us, but that you would use it to transform us by the power of your spirit within us, that you would make us doers of this word and not just hearers. And may it be a lamp unto our feet. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So in the fall of 2000, I graduated high school and I boarded a plane and traveled all the way down to um, Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I spent a year there um, doing ministry and primarily learning Spanish. And so this was the beginning of a, of a long journey of um, getting outside of my own uh, cultural setting. I had never been outside the U.S. before, and so I am thrown into this room that's about uh, 
10 by 10. We could get five bunk beds. And so um, I'm dorming with uh, people from all over the world, 27 different countries. And we're all there learning Spanish, um, learning Argentine Spanish, which is very different um, than what, what you would normally hear. Um, and so we're there and I'm learning, um, I'm growing. I come back to the U.S. A couple of years later, I go back to Argentina. Um, and then after being married and having kids, our family goes and we live in Mexico. And so over the last 20 years, I've been growing and growing in my use of the Spanish language. Um, and what I think is really interesting that we see here um, with Paul this morning is he is giving us the uh, language, the, the vocabulary of a of a new heavenly language, and we we listed those things in there. Um, but just like it took a lot of time for me to grow and to continue to figure out new ways to use these new words that I was learning, um, and lots of messing up and not quite saying it right. So we too are growing with this new language that we're learning in Scripture. These new ways in which we're um, called to love one another called to move towards one another, called to bear each other's burdens. And so it's, it's, it's almost like we're learning a new language with a new syntax and, and new uh, verb usage and all this stuff, and we're figuring it out, and we're figuring it out together. But there's a problem. No matter, if I, if I just continue to learn Spanish for the rest of my life, I'm always going to have an American accent. Because that's where I'm from. That was my very first language. And so that first mother tongue, that first native language permeates every word that I say. It, it leaks into how I sort of try to translate literally from one language to another. And so in the Christian walk, we too have this struggle where we have a natural language. We have a natural way of moving towards people. And Paul lists that out here too. And says, here's all the characteristics of the flesh. And these two are at war with one another. But over time, we are learning step by step to walk with the Spirit. And so he's guiding us and he's leading us and taking us deeper in this new heavenly language that we, that is, that is breaking forth into the here and now through the way that we relate to one another. So we're going to see this morning three ways that we do that um, in, pri- in the primary ways that we relate to anybody, how we relate to God, how we relate to one another, and how we relate to ourselves. And so we're going to see that first by looking at verse 26. And we're going to see that by walking in the Spirit, we can use this new language of love to be both humble and confident. So he's he's listed out here um, these fruits of the Spirit. And then he tells them right afterwards that if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And the word he uses there for conceited is, is really interesting because essentially it means... Um, it's you, you can't have a reality that isn't connected to something real. You can't have a mindset 
Um, you can't boast about something if it's not true. And the people in Galatia were uh, moving toward one another, not based on reality. And he says, essentially, that is going to work its way out in two ways. You're either going to provoke one another or you're going to envy one another. And this is essentially two sides of how the gospel gets worked out in our lives relationally. And so it's within the gospel that he is giving us the tools, the language for how to move towards one another. Essentially, the gospel says two things, right? There's a problem. That's me. And there's a solution. It's Christ. And so when we distort those, we will either move towards other people by provoking them or by envying them. So what's happening when we provoke one another? When we provoke one another, we have too high a view of ourselves. The view of our sin is really small and the view of of ourselves is really high. And so that is going to cause us to move towards people with this sort of air of superiority. We won't believe in this sense that we have a very strong, sinful accent. We won't have the self-awareness to to view our own selves critically. And this is really a, a very difficult tendency, right? Because if this is our tendency, then it's hard to see that we have a problem. But essentially, we're not. we see ourselves too strong. And if we're seeing ourselves too strong by provoking one another, then when we're envying one another, we're seeing ourselves too small. We are not believing the truths of the gospel that uh, of the promises that we have in Christ. And so we are not seeing the solution. So we see we have a small view of God. We provoke one another when we have a small view of our sin. We're envious of one another when we have a small view of God's power in the gospel. Um, and so we're not content with where God has us. We're not content with what he's provided for us. And these are sort of two extremes that we can, two ditches in the road that we can sort of oscillate between. And we have to see that the solution of this is in Christ. And so he tells us that we are then to walk by the Spirit. The way we avoid one ditch over another is in keeping in step with the Spirit. This is a word that um, isn't used very much within the New Testament. And it's actually a very ancient Greek word. But it was used in the context of um, the military. And so when, when people, when the army was marching, it's this word here of like walking in step or keeping in step. It was to keep in formation with uh, the leader. And so it's this idea of a picture of the Spirit leading us. And we are to follow after him. And we do that by doing the things that he's listed there with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So how do we know which one of these two extremes we might have a tendency to lean towards? One of the things we can ask ourselves is when we're criticized or if something's pointed out to us that we don't quite like about ourselves, what's our gut reaction? What's our knee-jerk reaction to criticism? Because everyone loves criticism, right? 
It's essentially identifying where is my security and where is my identity rooted. If it's rooted in me, then I'm going to fire back and I'm going to be judgmental and I'm going to try to criticize back. I'm going to defend myself, right? So I'm going to provoke someone if I'm criticized, if I'm, if anybody points anything out because you're attacking what's most important to me and that's myself. That's where my, that's where I'm rooted and that helps us identify where, where we're on that spectrum at. But if I'm also then, if I respond the other way and I'm incredibly discouraged and my world is crushed, then it means I'm lacking the confidence that the gospel provides. If someone comes along beside me and says, you know, Brother, I've, I've kind of noticed these things in your life. There's, there's this that's happening and I've seen the way you relate to your kids in this way or your wife. And, you know, I've really, I'm looking, you know, someone who's genuinely looking to build me up and I'm just crushed and I'm, I, I don't have the confidence that the gospel provides, then I'll probably respond in the other way. And so that's a that's sort of a great reminder as is, is, is we're going through life and we're, we are confronted with these um, opportunities to either strengthen our belief in the truth of the gospel um, or to maybe take a more critical, honest look at ourselves. Uh, it provides ways for us to become in step with the Spirit. And so the gospel provides both the humility we need to walk in step with the Spirit, but it also provides the confidence that we need to do so. And so we see that it provides uh, the humbleness that we need and the confidence. But secondly, walking in the Spirit means that we ought to be helpful and challenging to, towards others. This is that first Dynamics is essentially how do I see myself in relation to God? And this, the second one is how do I see myself in relation to others? So he says in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We find here the same sort of type of tension that we saw in the in the first few verses. There's a tension here between um, wanting to move towards someone. If you see someone who's in sin, um, you need to move towards them with gentleness so they can be restored. But watch out! Don't you know? Take a look at yourself, lest you too be tempted. Um, that an, an author that I like um, has said that. We are primarily not mechanical beings with problems that need to be fixed, but we are primarily relational beings with realities that need to be faced. And so this is an example of coming alongside someone not to fix their problem, not to um, cure them, but to help them relate and see this reality um, and it invites us to do so in our own life as well. And you can see here how his first his first part about not provoking one another, not envying one another, that's going to come into play because how am I able to restore someone or, or build someone else up if my sort of default way of moving towards people is because I'm better than them 
Um, that's not our message as Christians, right? It's, we are, we are like beggars who have found some bread and we're inviting other people to come as well. That's our posture. The power that we have as Christians is not in us as messengers, but it's in our message. And so that provides us with the humility and it allows us to be helpful, uh, to come alongside people. Um, I think there's a great example of this tension. Um, the way I heard the story originally was the Royal British Navy. I think our Navy has one too. But they have a, a, a simulator they call the sinking ship. From the outside, it looks like a huge, probably the size of the sanctuary, a huge metal um, block. But when you're in the inside, it looks like the inside of a hull of a ship. And the idea is it's designed in such a way that it can fill up with water. And so the people on the inside get real-life experience in trying to deal with what would happen if if the sink if the ship was sinking. And there's two tensions there. They have two options. They have pumps that can either pump the water out, which is is very helpful when water's coming in, but the second solution is to actually try to fix the leaks. Now, there's a tendency if to to kind of in in pressure, you know, if you're if the ship is sinking, to to sort of fixate on one of the two. And what they're trying to teach the the sailors is that you've got to do both at the exact same time. If you just pump the water out, the motors will eventually uh, burn out because they can't keep up with it. If you just fix the leaks, you're not going to be able to do it in time, and you're going to drown. So you've got to coordinate together, work together to do both things at the same time. You've got to be able to hold that tension of pumping out water and fixing leaks. And as a parent, I feel like that that feels like my job a lot of times, wanting to both um, pump water out, change behavior, but also uh, fix leaks. And that's, you know, get to the heart of what's happening. Because what's our goal as parents? To make sure our kids behave 100% of the time, right? Listen to everything. No, that, you'd go crazy. Um, our goal is to raise up fruitful disciples of Christ. That's a, that's a lifelong process. That's, Paul even uses the language of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit takes a long time. It's a long process. It's a journey that we're on. And so, when we come alongside our kids, we've got to do both things. We do have to sort of modify some behavior and say, look, you can't do that. You're going you're gonna to have to just trust me for right now, but that will hurt you. But we're also looking to come into the heart and to, to shape them and to mold them, to, to give them the tools that they need to, to actually have wisdom. We're not just transferring information to them. And so that's sort of a, that's, it's not just parenting, but that's what we do with one another. That's, um, we, we have as our theme verse for our discipleship initiative is Hebrews 10, 24. Consider, think about it, consider ways in which to stimulate one another to good works, to love and good works. And so it's this idea of how can I come along beside someone? How can I come along because my ultimate goal is to see them restored, 
to see them built back up, to brought back into fellowship with God. And so he tells us to keep watch. Because if I'm going to do that for someone else, if I'm going to come along beside someone else and help them, then I have to make sure what that I am willing to have someone come along beside me and to help me. So that's that's my heart issue that I've got to work with. And so that leads us to our third point. We've seen that within the gospel, we have the humility and confidence to walk in the Spirit. In verse 1, we see that walking in the Spirit helps us... um, uh, allows us to be helpful and challenging towards others. And then thirdly, we see that walking in the Spirit can allow us to be honest and critical of ourselves. So we've seen how we relate with God, how we relate to each other, especially how we relate to ourselves. Um, And this is a a point in which we're kind of jumping into the tail end of the letter of Galatians. But this is something that Paul has been um, it was kind of the reason why he was writing this letter. And so we're actually seeing the crescendo of his entire argument. Um, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Just to begin, I want to kind of, in case you caught something there that comes out in our English translations, and that's that idea that he's saying we need to bear one another's burdens, and then at the end he's saying um, each one is going to bear his own load. Uh, those, the load and the burdens there are two different words um, in the original language. And so essentially the, the burden that we bear ourselves would be um, something that we are solely responsible for. Nobody else on earth is responsible for being the father of my children. That is my responsibility. That's what I will give an account for one day. Or, you know, and there's lots of other ways that we can all fill in that sort of same blank. That there is something that I am completely responsible on my own. We all together are responsible as a body to take care of one of each other, uh, one another. And so that's why he's saying we are to bear one another's burdens. And so that first bear one another's burdens, literally it's, it's in Greek, it's similar to the word for shoulder. And so you have this picture of kind of everyone standing shoulder to shoulder. Is that me? Right next to each other. Um, You have this picture. Am I gone now? All right. Is this one on? All right. There we go. So we have this picture of us bearing one another's burdens, standing shoulder to shoulder with each other. This is something that we're, it's an image right away that someone would have heard and said, okay, we're doing this together. We're in this together. Um, and he's saying that the, the whole law, this was the whole point of the Old Testament. In um, chapter 5, verse 14, just prior to this, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. The Galatians were really worried about whether or not they were keeping the law. And Paul is saying, if you want to keep the law, then you do it by loving one another. That's the whole point. The, the law for the Israelites and for us is like a mirror. It helps us see ourselves. But the whole point was to see that you're dirty. <laughs> and the Israelites saw that they were dirty, and then they essentially tried to use the mirror to clean themselves. And we'd say, well, that's silly. What they were supposed to do was see that they're dirty, and then that would push them to the solution. It would push them to Christ. And so Paul is saying here that the the whole point of the law was to see your need so that you would run to Christ. And this is giving you parameters, this is giving you guidelines for how you can love and relate to one another. He's essentially expounding what Jesus says in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. We are to carry and shoulder one another's burdens. And we are to be honest about our own needs for that. So that when someone comes along beside us, and this is difficult because I can remember this passage was actually the first passage I ever preached in Spanish. And I remember going back and listening to the tape of that. um, And I was just, I was blown away. I was like, that is not what I hear when I'm in my own head when I'm speaking. I was so, I was just blown away by, I thought I had this like, great Spanish accent, you know, I was, but to hear it, you know, objectively from someone else, to hear it from the tape, I realized that my own view of myself was not correct. I didn't have, apparently, really good self-awareness. And this is important because um, author and and pastor Paul Tripp uh, says, No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you do. And so we, we know this. I mean, we're, how many times have you found yourself in the shower or brushing your teeth or maybe alone driving to work and you're replaying over and over again some argument that you had and you're, you're winning it every time and you're thinking of all the things you should have said. You know, we're kind of replaying this. There, There is an inner dialogue that's happening in our own hearts. And so a very important question, if we're going to be honest and we're going to be critical of ourselves, is to ask, what is that saying? What message am I preaching over and over again? How wholesome, how faith-driven, how Christ-centered is the conversation that we have with ourselves every day? Are we reminding ourselves of the promises of the gospel? Are we preaching this good news? Are we pointing ourselves back to Christ so that we can have both humility and confidence in the gospel? What are we saying to ourselves? As we finish, we're all learning to speak a new language. We've been given the vocabulary. We're finding new and different ways to express that to one another. We're translating new phrases. 
to build one another up, to come alongside each other, to preach the gospel to ourselves. We're learning all this. We can't do it perfectly. We're always going to have that sinful accent. It's always going to bleed through. But we've been given the Spirit. We've been given the Spirit within us, indwelling us, that's coming alongside of us to help us bear one another's burdens. We can do this. We can be humble and confident in the gospel because that's exactly what Christ came and did for us. He humbled himself. God himself came down, lived the life that we never could live, and he found all his confidence in the promises of the Father. He was able to be both helpful and challenging to us. He did not just sweep our sin under the rug. We didn't receive some type of special spiritual amnesty where he just forgot about our sin. He took it seriously and he dealt with it on the cross. He became both the just and the justifier. And also, we, with this new language of love, by walking in the Spirit, can be both honest and critical with ourselves. Christ has freed us from pretending that sin isn't really that bad, and he provides a way for us in the truth. He gives us the grace to come out from sin's domineering power. Now, we long for the day when we will speak this heavenly language with no sinful accent. But we can rest assured that now as we journey alongside each other as a body, that we can progress little by little and grow and grow through his grace that he's provided for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but you have provided your spirit for us, that you have not treated us as we deserved, but you've rescued us, you've redeemed us, you've made us your handiwork, and you are so you are more committed to us than we even are of ourselves. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us continually this grace to see the the amazing power and promise that you have, that you have given us in the gospel. That we would see that you, um, you are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You are these things. And so you invite us to Uh, grow and be transformed in who we are, that we can reflect your glory as your children, as your heirs. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.